Well, it, it, it has happened, and I need you to know I, I have converted. I'm, I have changed a major, major part of my worldview. It has happened. It has come to this, and it all happened in the last three minutes. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here, The Eric Erickson Show. If you'd like to be a part of the program, the phone number is 877-973-7425. I would like to formally declare myself at this moment to be, in limited circumstances, pro-abortion. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually pro-abortion for very one, one specific thing. Y'all, the, the Democrats have just released a new song, and I am in favor of abortion of this song. Listen to this garbage. Oh, I got to rearrange. Boy, that was a buildup, and then I forgot to click the button to actually let you people hear it. This is so terrible. You, too, will be in favor of abortion rights against this song. Can, can we be just just those of us who are can we just support abortion of this one thing, please, please, somebody get me a coat hanger. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is horrible. And okay, I, I just listen. I'm I'm sorry. I I I don't mean to offend. I really this is terrible. <laughs> this is I would rather the montage of the celebrities all singing. This is in the it's an animation y'all. It's an animation that's designed to look like the schoolhouse rocks how a bill becomes a law with the little rolled up bill. It's horrible. Oh my gosh, this is please lord make this stop. Please. Oh my gosh, um uh, I this is I was going to talk about something else. To start the program, but that's just horrible. Actually, I, I'm I'm going now to I'm gonna to go to the Bible. <laughs> just bear with me. I have a point. I do. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in 
But they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation, and the king was greatly alarmed, and his lords were perplexed. But one of them remembered Daniel, and Daniel was brought before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing. O king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared. Now we skip down. And it says, Then from his presence the hand was sent. And the writing was inscribed by God, and this is the writing, Mini, mini, tinkle, and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mini. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tinkle. You have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel with clothed in purple, a chain of gold was put around his neck. Proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler of the kingdom. That very night... Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom. (laughs) So much for clothing Daniel in purple, huh? Now, I start with this, because most all of you are familiar with the story, the hand upon the wall. You find this in Daniel chapter 5 in the Old Testament of the Bible. It's a very famous story. It applies at a theological level in various ways. I'm not going to talk about the theology. I'm going to talk about the history. Daniel was an actual person. Uh, he actually, there is a tomb in Iran to this day where he is believed to be buried. Historically, it is presumed he is buried there. He died a very revered figure even among the Persian Empire. This is documented as a story that is truthful, whether you believe it or not. I don't care It is believed by the Muslims, it is believed by the Jews, it is believed by the Christians that this event happened. The key thing here is that Belshazzar, the emperor, the king, totally forgot his history, totally forgot everything. He got greedy. He assumed that that it was all his now. He assumed that, that he couldn't be touched. And it was all swept away in one night of terror after a hand wrote on a wall. We are beginning to see that terror set in upon the Democratic Party. Here's the problem. And I listen, so I, I want you to understand, uh, peel back the curtain a little bit. I'm obviously conservative. I'm partisan. I'm Christian. I try, however, my best to give people Just play it straight. I'll tell you what I think, but let me tell you what's actually going on first. I want to tell you what's going on, and some of you who are conservatives are going to hear me and think I'm giving advice to the Democrats. No, I'm I'm trying to explain for all of you the lay of the land that's actually upon us. 
to the Democrats, you're going to hear what I'm saying and think I'm giving you advice, and to a degree I will be, and so you won't take it, thinking I'm trying to lure you into a trap. All I'm trying to do is explain to everyone right now the lay of the landscape. I wish to read you polling. In the, This is from the New York Times. In the eight states expected to have the closest Senate elections, Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Nevada, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, President Biden's overall job approval rating is 33%. Lower than Donald Trump's in the swing states of 2018. We have reached the moment of crisis for the Democratic Party today in multiple news outlets in the editorial pages of the left at the New York Times and the Washington Post at USA Today, on MSNBC, on CNN. It is inescapable at this point that bad things are headed towards the Democrats and they're having to come to terms with it. They are having genuine problems dealing with the reaction to what is happening in the polling. They they can no longer defend Joe Biden. They are having to recognize that there are legitimate fundamental underlying problems and there's no way to escape those problems. The Democrats have no plan to escape those problems and it is just doom and gloom. I go back to last Sunday and Chuck Todd on Meet the Press. So what happened to Democrats on Tuesday goes far beyond the defeat of Terry McAuliffe in Virginia or Governor Phil Murphy's narrow escape in New Jersey. If you look at it from coast to coast, it was a warning to Democrats that their congressional majorities are in grave danger. And then there's George Stephanopoulos from two days ago. We're coming on the air this morning with a brand new poll, and it's brutal for President Biden. His approval rating has hit a new low. Only 41% of Americans think he's doing a good job in office. 53% disapprove. 70% believe the economy is in bad shape. And with inflation at a three-decade high, only 39% approve of Biden's handling of the economy. Looking ahead to the midterm elections, Republicans have a 10-point lead among registered voters, their largest lead ever in the 40-year history of our poll. The 40-year history of that ABC News Washington Post poll. You can think the polling itself is bad, and we're about to hear the Democrats complaining about the polling. The problem is the trend line, and the trend line there is consistent across polls. And then there was this on MSNBC yesterday. Calling all Thanksgiving shoppers. Supply chain issues are impacting how many turkeys are available this year, and Bob's Turkey Farm in Lancaster is already feeling the effects. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, they're all spoken for at this point. Well, it's been crazy. Farm co-owner Sue Miner says they're already clean out of fresh turkeys, with customers flocking to their business due to fears of shortages at grocery stores. People were calling in August wanting to order their turkeys, and we would not even go live with our order system until September 27th. And right away, I don't know how many, hundreds, hundreds of turkeys coming in daily orders. Plus, Bob's is processing fewer turkeys because of a shortage of staff. I sympathize for our customers because people that have been buying here for years and years and years are used to being able to call. This year, market research firm IRI reports that 60% of turkeys nationwide are already out of stock. 
And the same goes for other products. IRI reports cans of cranberry sauce, 20% out of stock. Sweet potatoes and yams, a quarter out of stock. The only thing more in stock than last year is stuffing. <laughs> oh, oh, they're about to stuff it up. Uh, oh, better not say that. This, this, this is not good for the Democrats. It's not good at all for the Democrats. And now this, too, from MSNBC to this morning. Out here in California, you can see the reason why people are spending more on gas. Behind me, we've got a gas station selling gas for about $5 a gallon. Down the road, it's about $6 a gallon. And all of that is adding up to a holiday weekend, Thanksgiving coming up. $600 million more per day Americans are going to spend on their gasoline. The president this morning is out calling for a Federal Trade Commission investigation to why gas prices are not going down. He can't say it's his fault. He's now trying to blame the gas producers of America for keeping prices high. He's tried to get OPEC to release more oil. They've said no. Now he's trying to blame American business for it. This is a problem. The hand is upon the wall. Your days are at an end. And the Democrats are beginning to know it. And they're beginning to panic. Here is the bottom line problem all of you need to understand. And, and I'm, I mean this honestly, lovingly, not in a partisan way. People are headed to Thanksgiving dinner next week. They will talk, not about politics, but about life. They will tune out the news except to watch the Detroit Lions lose on Thanksgiving Day. They will tune out the headlines. They will spend time with family. And they will talk about how prices have gone up and gas is more expensive and we're not over this damn virus and life cannot go on as we were promised. And then they will get into the Christmas season and everything will be more expensive and everything will be harder to buy. And their perceptions will start to lock in. Kids will leave school for the holidays. There won't be a focus on news. There will be a focus on family and shopping and the holidays and enjoying each other. And it will be more costly. It will be more expensive. It will be harder to get things. There will be more disappointed kids who can't get what they wanted for Christmas. And then the midterm elections begin. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Okay, um, so I need you guys to know if you're on the recipe list, you're about to get a volley of recipes on the recipe list uh, in the run-up to Thanksgiving. So you're going to get my gravy recipe. You'll get my dressing, stuffing recipe. Uh, you'll get the breakfast recipes. Uh, you're you're going to get a lot of recipes this week. Uh, don't spam you. Don't sell them. Uh, if you want them or you just want to go look at the recipes, I haven't posted them yet, but... Text the word recipe to 33777 and you will get a link back. If you click it, this is important. If you click it, you will see all the recipes. Uh, but you could also put your email address down to get them to your email. Now, some of them are because of the way they process, they're getting trapped in your spam folders. My daily email from Substack has gotten trapped in people's spam folder in the last couple of days. I don't know why it's happening. Now, maybe the email companies are out to get me. I don't know. But if you text RECIPE to 33777, going to start sending out all the Thanksgiving recipes uh, starting this afternoon. So you'll get some today, tomorrow, Friday, Saturday, 
uh, all the recipes for you for the Thanksgiving and Christmas season. Now, I got to share a funny story. You know, um, when you you hear sometimes about people, they get a mean face. They have a mean face. So, y'all know Philip and Charlie. Charlie is the head of operations and programming for my show. He produces the show. He answers the phones as the show grows in syndication. He's in charge of it. Philip does all the digital stuff. Now, Charlie has worked for me for a while and has wised up. Charlie, if you were to meet him on the street and ask him what he did, he would tell you he works in a lawyer's office, which is really not a lie. Philip, on the other hand, is young and has not understood that he should never tell people who he works for. He was at a, a dinner a couple of weeks ago at his university uh, that he graduated from, sat next to a woman. They were having a very pleasant conversation, and she asked him what he did for a living, and he said he runs the digital operations for the Eric Erickson show. And he said her face immediately changed. It became a very mean and angry-looking face. She looked at him, and she said, Oh, he doesn't think the election was stolen, does he? So he is on a cruise this week with his wife. They are headed down towards the Southern Caribbean, and he was. they are on a cruise. They were hanging out with some older couple from uh, New England, the New Jersey, uh, New York area. Struck up a conversation with retirees. He and his wife are about the youngest people on this cruise, it seems, and uh, having a conversation, and they ask what he does. And he's like, well, it's safe. I mean, woman's from New Jersey, doesn't know who he is. He says, I, I run the digital operations for a talk radio show uh, called The Eric Erickson Show. Oh, the woman listens to the live stream, knew exactly who I was, and that I don't think the election was stolen. It's always people of a certain age. <laughs> so now, relatedly, I had to go to Publix yesterday. And there's a, a woman in a Cadillac in front of me, and she has a Stacey Abrams sticker. She has a human rights campaign sticker. She has uh, her Biden uh, Kamala Harris sticker. They're all on her Cadillac. She pulls into the parking space, and I pull into the one right next to her. And she turns over and looks. Oh, you can tell when they know me. Y'all, I'm not kidding. This woman reversed out of that parking spot and moved to a different part of the parking lot. I'm not making that up. She knew who I was. She did not even want to park next to me. I don't understand people. I just, I don't understand people like that. Well, uh, for my listeners in Georgia, it appears that your congressional redistricting is wrapping up and the Republicans will pick back up a congressional seat. Uh, not a bad thing. Uh, they will get back Lucy McBath's seat, the 6th Congressional District in Georgia. They have rearranged the congressional districts so that, um, well, for example, um, Marjorie Taylor Greene's district will creep a little further into the metro Atlanta area, still be solidly Republican. But Lucy McBath's district will change. It'll be the northern part of uh, Fulton County which is slightly, um, well, it, it, it trends Republican, but is moving Democrat, be the northeastern part of Cobb County. It will be a tiny, tiny sliver of Gwinnett County, the Sugar Hill, Hill area. It'll be all of Forsyth County, uh, and it will be some of Cherokee County. 
and it will be some of, um, well, it'll be up through, yeah, Forsyth County, Cherokee County, that area. It's going to be interesting to see how this shakes out. Um, and, you know, the reality is there's nothing the Democrats can do about this. Now, there is a rumor that you should know. There is a rumor that uh, if you're in Georgia, you probably need to know. Lucy McBath is the congresswoman for the 6th Congressional District, and she is going to possibly, more likely than not, uh, step into the David Scott Congressional District. The, the numbers are escaping. I'm trying to, to think of the numbers. Uh, and also, it's it's Dawson County and Forsyth County will be in Lucy McBath's district. Um so she, a rumor has it, I've been told by Democrats, that David Scott, the congressman from South Atlanta, is in poor health, uh, is looking to not run again, and so they will shift Lucy McBath into his district. Uh, she will, of course, have a Democratic primary there, but all the Democrats will rally to her, uh, claiming she was a victim of those mean, awful Republicans, and she will then um, go on and cruise probably to victory. We'll see. I'm, I'm fascinated by the whole dynamic. Now, the 11th district will stretch a little further north, securing Barry Loudermilk, uh, his term, and the 10th district will maintain uh, secure Republicans so that um, John Barrow can't come back again. Now, I'm sure this is inside the baseball for those of you not listening to Georgia. I'm sorry. This just happened now. This also just happened. This is for all of you. The OSHA. Occupational Safety and Health Administration has announced it will stop moving forward with the vaccine mandate. OSHA has announced uh, that it will not proceed, uh, not or in its words, quote, take no steps to implement or enforce the emergency temporary standard on vaccinations until further court order. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals has the case there were what what the left did this is this is one of the interesting things that people do so when the 5th circuit court of appeals enjoined the federal government from enforcing the vaccine mandate the left filed lawsuits as well and the left filed the lawsuits in circuits where the democrats still control now, what happens if you have a, a case in the Ninth Circuit and a case in the Eighth Circuit and a case in the Eleventh Circuit and a case in the Fifth Circuit? And they're all the same case. They're all the same people suing the same people over the same thing. What happens is that someone in Washington, D.C., within the Department of Justice, has a group of ping pong balls in a cage. And each of them has a number, 1 through 13. There are 13 circuits plus D.C., and they literally give that thing a whirl and pull a ping pong ball out. The ping pong balls are observed by the lawyers. They're uh, they're unweighted. They're, they're inspected to make sure, like the lottery, that there's no scam going on. They don't put a little weight in the Fifth Circuit one so it can't be picked. They spin this thing around. They shuffle up the ping pong balls. They reach their hand in. This I'm not making this up, by the way. They really use ping pong balls in a cage. And they reach in and they pull one out. And that court then gets all of the cases consolidated together. So they did that last night in Washington, D.C. 
The Fifth Circuit got the case. That's the most conservative circuit in the United States. It covers Texas and Louisiana. And uh, once the Fifth Circuit got it, OSHA has now come out this morning and said, all right, guys, we're done. Uh, The Biden administration had told people, told OSHA they could continue to enforce the vaccine mandate until consolidation of the cases. Now that the cases are consolidated, and it's been consolidated in the court that's already enjoined the vaccine mandate, that injunction now applies nationwide because of the ping pong ball, and so OSHA cannot enforce the vaccine mandate. So now listen to me. This is important. Some of you work for companies that have hidden behind the vaccine mandate. These companies want you to get the vaccine, but these companies do not want you to be made to feel like they're the ones imposing it on you. This is why the Biden administration did the vaccine mandate. It's not something that they have the power to do. I don't think constitutionally. The Fifth Circuit agrees. But as long as the Biden administration did it, your companies could say, well, it's not us. It's Joe Biden. Sorry. They could scapegoat Joe Biden. Now they can't. The Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, is now saying it will not enforce, will not implement, and will not proceed with the federally mandated vaccine. So if your company still forces you to get the vaccine, you need to know it is your company now. It's not the federal government. Your company now has nowhere to hide. I suspect we're going to see companies going like Southwest Airlines, which has walked back its vaccine mandate. You're going to see that some companies are going to do it. There are some companies in the country that have just been upfront that we want all of our employees vaccinated. I work for a company that wants its employees vaccinated. Now, I've already I've already got the vaccine. Uh, I've even got the booster. Uh, the company that I work for wants all of its employees to get it. However, they understand there are some employees who don't want it, and they will allow employees to do COVID testing on a regular basis if they don't want the vaccine. I think that's a fair compromise. Um, and some people don't think it's a fair compromise. I, I do, listen, they want you to either get the shot or, or be tested for COVID so you, you don't spread it to your coworkers. Okay. You don't have to work there. But there are some companies out there who they're, they're, they want you to get the vaccine. They don't want to be reasonable. I mean, there are some companies out there that aren't providing alternate paths. It's either get the vaccine or be fired. And they're perfectly willing to fire you, but they've been hiding many of them behind Joe Biden saying, oh, it's not us. It's him. Well, it's not him anymore. It is not Joe Biden anymore. Joe Biden has announced, well, the the uh, OSHA has announced they're not going to enforce it. So if your company decides that you still got to get the vaccine, they have nowhere to hide now. It's on them and you can act accordingly. Gosh, there's been so much news. I've got all this stuff I want to talk about, and there's the, there's so much news. But I, I need to get back to these other situations here um, with, with the Democrats and the polling. And by the way, the vaccine mandate goes into it. There is now split polling. You know, in the, in the exit polling in Virginia, all the opinion polling in Virginia showed that a slim majority supported the vaccine mandate. The actual exit polling of voters who actually voted showed a majority opposed the vaccine mandate. So the opinion polling and the exit polling, and the exit polling is always better, differ on that. Now, here is this. 
uh, on uh, some dude on Twitter who is uh, oh he's the director of a um, analysis campaign analysis website, and he is. I want to read you his tweet. We're a year away from the election, with only sixteen states yet forecasted for their state legislatures with an expected triple-digit Republican net gain. This is how devastating it's going to be for the Democrats in the state elections next year. The nationwide gains at this rate will more than undo all of the seat gains Democrats made in 2018 nationwide. They'll likely lose a few chambers, too. They're underdogs in the Alaska House. They will be the underdogs in the Minnesota House. They only have a 50-50 shot at the main house. And then you have some more opportunities for Republicans to flip chambers. The only chamber that Democrats flipped in 2018 the GOP has no shot at is the New York State Senate. This is bad. Republicans are favored to gain 100 seats in 16 states in their state legislature, and more are coming. Now, I want to use Georgia as an example here because Georgia is not alone, but it's the one I know best. And this translates to Texas. This translates to Ohio. This translates to Florida for sure. Say what you will, but Donald Trump was a drain on some states. Now, I, I want to specifically talk about Texas and Georgia right now, but it extrapolates to other states where Donald Trump underperformed or lost those states. So Republicans in Georgia have redesigned their state legislative seats. And they used the data from 2020's elections to help them draw their state legislative races. And Republicans in the state house, for example, gave away six seats to the Democrats. They, they gave up six seats. One they gave up because he's a Republican who's a conservative and the Speaker of the House doesn't like him. So they punished him by forcing his seat into the hands of the Democrats. To make that work on the map, they had to give up five other seats as well. Here's the problem. They're using worst-case scenario data. Donald Trump was a drag on the GOP, so Republicans around the country are drawing districts contemplating that worst-case scenario when they may be giving up some seats they didn't need to give up because without Trump, things get better for the GOP. Without Trump, the data shows that suburban voters are more likely to vote for the GOP. Now, this leads to a corollary analysis. In these situations— you could very well have the Republicans drawing seats thinking they're going to become either swing seats or Democrat seats, and instead they're Republican seats. They think the Democrats could occupy the seat, but there could be such a big Republican wave coming next year that the Republicans actually pick up the seats. Now, I got to tell you, I, I'm trying not to get excited by that idea, by a wave, because, you know, in, in 2020 – there was a Democratic wave, but the Republican wave was so big it neutralized it. And I don't see a Democratic wave shaping up unless maybe if the Supreme Court throws Roe v. Wade out, which is a possibility, that emboldens the Democrats. But I, it's still, the majority of voters who vote on that issue are Republican, not Democrat. Uh, abortion fires up the right. It never fires up the left. Maybe it would if you got rid of Roe, but I doubt it because nothing would really change. No one would really see their lives change in that situation. The, the bottom line, though, here is that this is shaping up to be brutal for the Democrats, and everything they're doing is making it worse. They've become so obsessed with passing Build Back Better, they've ignored every other issue. 
And now they're taken to telling people, well, this will make it better when it won't. And voters realize that. Voters recognize that. And voters are getting angry with the Democrats right now. All of the data out there shows the Democrats should be going into mitigation right now. And they are so institutionally at this point committed to passing Build Back Better and have now convinced themselves that is the mitigation strategy, that they're not dealing with gas prices, they're not dealing with oil, they're not dealing with inflation, they're not dealing with the supply chain, they're not dealing with groceries. They've ignored all of these things to claim that Build Back Better solves it all. They're pouring all their hopes and dreams into a piece of legislation that may not even pass and won't solve their problems and is too big and unwieldy and complicated to explain, and that's going to cost them votes. It's a terrible, terrible path they've gone down, but they have so now fundamentally, institutionally, philosophically bought into it, there's no escape for them. Almost makes you feel bad for them, except... They brought it on themselves. It's probably a good thing that they have their comeuppance. And that we actually I, – I want. I don't want to talk all – listen, I want to move on in the next hour. I don't want to just talk politics all the time. I'm, I'm getting kind of tired of the topic if I'm honest. But the comeuppance of the Democrats, we got to talk about it lovingly and honestly and open. And some of you will get mad. But there's a point that has to be made about this when we come back. All right. I want to make a serious point, and then I want to move on. The problem that Democrats have in the election coming up is a philosophical problem. It is not inflation. It is not gas prices. It is not food prices. It's everything. It is a philosophical problem because they come across as disliking people not like them. And so they come across as uncaring. They come across as unconcerned. And that ultimately is their problem. You know what they're doing now, certain progressive district attorneys are in the nation? USA Today has the story today. They're going after groups that train you on how to use firearms. Because they're afraid if you get too good at using firearms, you may become an unauthorized militia. It's ridiculous. They're going after parents who challenge school boards. It's ridiculous. They're attacking you for buying too much, saying you should buy less. You're the problem with the supply chain. It's ridiculous. And then in the school systems, you all who are parents and you had kids in public school, you got to witness your children in the Zoom calls last year, and you realize how ridiculous it is, what they're being taught, and you're mad. The Democrats have a heart problem. They have a culture problem when it comes to people who don't think like them. Now, they can say, but Trump, but Trump, but Trump, but Trump's not on the ballot. Trump's not in office. Trump's not president. It didn't help Terry McAuliffe. And you want to you wanna do that? You, you, you want to go down that road? That's not going to help you. It is a real problem for the Democrats that they come across as uncaring, unfeeling, uh, un un. Uh, the lacking empathy. Joe Biden was elected because voters thought he had more empathy than Donald Trump. 
The result was a president who came into office and then showed that he had no empathy whatsoever and blamed everybody else for his problems. And the voters are very mad about this. At the end of the day, you can't continue getting elected if you don't respect your voters. Y'all, that's why I I wasn't going to run for office again. I think voters are stupid people. And there was no way I could get reelected running. I didn't want it. I hated the job to begin with. I just, I got elected because nobody else wanted the job. And so I ran unopposed. I actually was begging people to run and I would step aside. No one did. So I got elected for a four-year term and my gosh, did I hate every minute of it. And encountering constituents, the constituents who can't take care of themselves, who are always complaining, yeah, you you, you can have a, a low impression of the people who get mad because their trash didn't get picked up and they were too lazy to get up in the morning and roll their trash can down. I I held them in contempt. The problem is that the Democrats want to get reelected. I never did. And so they can't act like that. They can't act like parents are the bad people. They can't act like your gas prices aren't a problem. They can't act like they haven't done anything. And they can't act like they're doing anything right now because they aren't. It's a real problem. But there's another problem we must talk about when we come back. The mental health problem in this country is starting to get out of hand. Uh, The performative nonsense you see on places like TikTok, I played you some audio yesterday. I want to play it again, but we got to spend a little more time on this particular issue because it's only going to get worse, and it's actually kind of indicative of why voters are in open rebellion right now in that so much of the nonsense and craziness and insanity – is getting normalized. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the nation from Atlanta, Georgia, where it's kind of chilly today. I got my Braves apparel on, but I got the National League Championship jersey on because they they sent me the World Series stuff yesterday. It didn't all get washed. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425, should you wish to be a part of this year program. I will allow it. We got to go down the rabbit hole, and we got to be philosophical. Some of you are not going to like where this goes. So just just occasionally I like to be real with you. Um, I, I've grown the show now. Um about 20 or so stations that I'm on. And I started in uh, WSB in Atlanta, which is my flagship. And at the time when I started, some of the senior management really did not like when I discussed anything theological. Those people are no longer there. There are still people who don't like it, but it is my worldview. It is the way I see the world. And I, I'm I'm telling you that so that you can brace for this. Because I got some thoughts. And I want you to hear this audio that I played yesterday. You're going to hear this person on TikTok. This person is going to reference that I believe it's a she is with someone. She is actually not with anyone. And I want you to hear this now. Prepare yourself. Do you see this person next to me? E is my friend. C has had to put up with a lot to get to where Purr is today. I just want to let Glint know that Thon is valid, that Ver pronouns are valid, and that Sarah identity is valid. I wish Void all the best and look forward to maybe even seeing some of their lovely content someday. Please 
Treat them with respect, and I'm sure A will respect you too. Y'all? Yeah, I'm one of those people who believes in angels and demons. The Bible says they're real, and I believe they're real. I actually have a, a friend of mine who relayed the story of a local priest who I know who was counseling a family who had a little boy, and the little boy was going around the house and telling stories about all the pictures of the family. The, the family was from, I think, Honduras or Nicaragua, and had stories about the family members, and he was getting it all right, and there's no way he could have known it, and he kept saying that it was his granddad who was telling the stories. Granddad was dead. And they went to the local Catholic church. The family had been part of Santeria in voodoo and had converted uh, to Catholicism, and they went to the local Catholic church. The local Catholic priest went out and said, all right, I'll, I'll pray over the house. He prayed over the house did whatever Catholic priests do to this. And the family, a few weeks later, came back, and the little boy said his grandfather was very angry. And the Catholic priest said, when was the last time you spoke to your grandfather? He says, this morning. He's standing outside uh, if you want to talk to him. Grandfather, again, was dead. Now, you can believe the story or not. Um, I, it is it is a legitimately true story. I don't think the priest is lying. Um. It's neither here nor there if you don't believe this stuff, and I realize a lot of people don't. But what I fundamentally believe is that our problems are not inflation and gas. Our problems are not high prices. Our problems are cultural. And the voters are sensing the cultural problems, but those cultural problems are, at the end of the day, spiritual problems. And the spiritual problems are, as God moves out and hands you over to yourself— Bad things move in, and I think we're seeing it in this country. And again, this sounds like crazy talk to people. I'm, I'm very mindful that uh, people who are – and even some who are, it, it's the stuff you're not supposed to talk about politely. A nationally syndicated radio show host, unless you're named Art Bell, is not supposed to talk about this sort of stuff. But let me go deeper on this. <laughs> go where angels fear to tread. I believe – Fundamentally, philosophically, I believe every single person on planet Earth has a voice in the back of their head that tells them there is more to life than this. And if you are an atheist, you work very hard to suppress that voice. And if you are the child of an atheist, you hear the voice and, and you don't really know what the voice is saying and it allows other voices to creep in and guide the conversation. There are a lot of people who suppress the voice in their head and they're for the here and now. And you see it in politics on both sides of the aisle. You see it in politics. Everybody's for the here and now. People ignore the voice at their peril. It's not the voice of schizophrenia. It, it, it's not the, the, the voice of your multiple personalities talking at you. It's the perception. The perception that there's something else here, that you are here for something more than you are. And you either have to listen to the voice and ponder it or not. And a lot of people, they're listening but they don't know where to go. 
And churches these days are doing a terrible job of reaching out to the unclean, the unwashed, the unsaved. I will say this. Sunday morning is not for the unclean. The, well, it is for the unclean. It's not for the uh, people who don't know Jesus. It's for the people who do and need to be bolstered in their faith, I think. But churches have ways of pulling people in who are curious. A lot of them are failing. And they're going to the Internet. They're going to the world. And so much of the world is at odds with God. And so we're losing people, churches are, to a fallen culture, and it has corrupted spirits. And now I know, again, a lot of you are looking at this, oh my gosh, he's lost his mind. Let's get back to politics. Let's get back to something else. But here's the problem. All of this translates into everything we're dealing with as a society today. All of it does. And this poor girl on TikTok is the epitome of it. Where are the parents of this girl? Probably the parents are okay with it because probably the parents have tuned out already, dropped out. Where are the parents engaged in life? You know, there's study after study after study that shows that the kids who do best in life are the kids who have parents engaged with them, the parents who spend time with them. Now, I got to tell you, I suck. I do. I, I, I feel oftentimes like I am a, a bad husband and a bad father uh, because I, I'm, I'm very focused on my career. I, I've got to grow the number of affiliates. I got to grow the advertisers. I got to keep the ratings up. I am almost single-mindedly focused on this. And I am obsessed with it and focused on it to a degree because it, I am the sole breadwinner in my house. If if I fail at this, who's there to cover the cost of my wife's chemotherapy? Who's there to cover the cost of my kid's private school? Who's there to, to maintain us? And I wish to make more money, not for us, but to be able to share it with more people. To be generous to other people as people have been generous to us. I, I Yeah, I'm career-oriented, sometimes to the detriment of my family. I'm always online. I, I'm always, always engaged. I reach out and, and relate with and have friendships with so many of my listeners from across the country. They're texting all the time. Sometimes it can be an impediment to family life. I, I'm exhausted by the time I'm done with my day, and I still I, I got to spend time with my kids, and, and I feel oftentimes that I screw up with that. My daughter is is having a, a situation where a kid asked her out, and she was very interested in the kid, had been for a while, but then she said no. She really she wants to focus on grades. She doesn't want to be in a relationship, and the kid didn't take it well, and it really didn't take it well. And I just showed up day before yesterday. If I sounded a little unprepared for the show, it was because I just got up, and I drove over to my kid's school, and I sat in the parking lot with her. And just let her let her vent for about 20 minutes, 20, 30 minutes. She just she needed to get it off her chest. She needed somebody to talk to. And so I just sat there and, and I, I try to do stuff like that. I try to be engaged as much as I can. I feel bad for my wife. Um, my wife uh, does not sleep well at night. I have mostly been sleeping in the guest bedroom of late because I don't want to bother her at night. She needs her sleep. She needs her rest. But I try to engage 
I try, I feel bad sometimes, but then I'm mindful that study after study after study of the data shows that I'm more engaged than a lot of parents out there. And I don't mean that to, to prop myself up because I, I think I suck at it, but the data suggests I'm doing way more than most. And the parents who are not engaged in their child's lives are handing their children over to be raised by the wolves of the world. And we've got a mental health crisis in this country. Every damn time there is a mass shooting in this country, it is almost always young white boys doing it. And the media and the left immediately go to, we got to take everybody's guns. And don't you talk about mental health. Why, why can we not talk about mental health? We should talk about mental health. I struggle, frankly, to be as open as I wish I could be with you on these sorts of issues. I mean, I get depressed. I sometimes just want to crawl under a rock, don't feel very encouraged, frustrated with the the, the slowness of my career, feel like I put trust in others who let me down. I, I, I do. We all do. And there, there's a level of oversharing, I think, we get in society, but there's also a level of detachment and lack of engagement. And it's this is bad. And we're seeing it unfold on TikTok. We're seeing it unfold with kids across the country. We're seeing it uh, unfold in schools around America. We're seeing it engaged and in, 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 uh, laid out on the streets of America as, as kids are trying to find their way. And they're trying to find their way because there's a voice in the back of everyone's head that says, I made you. And you're here for something greater. And they don't know what that is. They don't know what it is that's supposed to be great. We're steered into a godless, secular culture that tells you you're not supposed to be great. This country's not great. There's nothing good here. We're all bad. We're all racists. And they go on the Internet and they try to find their place in the world. And their parents haven't helped them. They have no help. And it's leading us to a mental health crisis in this country. Families are collapsed. Parents are disengaged. Kids are engaged online. The parents have no idea. Uh, they're doing t- the kids are doing TikTok. If this was my kid, there would be an intervention. It's not my kid. My kid wouldn't do this because I'm engaged with my kids' lives. Maybe I'll be humbled. Maybe my kids will do it. But I doubt it. Here's y'all, in all seriousness, everyone is trying to find their way in the world. The world will either help them find their way or the church will help them find their way. The government's not going to help them find their way. The government's part of the world. You will help people find their way if you are engaged in their lives. That's why I tell you all the time, and I am so broken record on this, uh, when Scripture says seek the welfare of the, of the community in which you live and pray for it because there you'll find your welfare, there are so many of us, we are so detached from our community. We are so detached from Atlanta, from Dayton, from Tulsa, from Orlando, from Jacksonville, from Houston, from Dallas, from Clarksville, from Rome, from uh, you name it. 
We're detached from our local community. We're not engaged with our local community. We're focused on Washington. We're obsessed with Washington. Washington provides all the answers. We're not seeking the welfare of our local community. We're not seeking the welfare of the homeless man down the street who's not going to get a meal for Thanksgiving. We're, we're not seeking the welfare of the local family struggling to make ends meet because bills are so high. We're not seeking the welfare of our own family. We're not seeking the welfare of our next door neighbor because we don't even know their name. And we're allowing then this voice that all of us have in the back of our head that tells us there's something better, there's something more. We're allowing that voice to get answered by the void that exists because of our own lack of engagement. And it's not ending well for us as a society. It's not ending well for so many people. And so I just, I want to encourage you, you, you listen to this kid performing on social media and, and being affirmed, by the way, being affirmed by that void. That all of us have this voice. And the question is, are you with your children, with your neighbors, with your family, with your community, are you going to try to step into the void and answer, provide an answer in some direction? Or are you going to let the world through the internet do it? Because so many of us have become so detached from so much around us that detachment is leading to a societal, cultural, philosophical collapse. And at heart, it's all a spiritual issue because the spirit's yearning because there's that voice there. And there just aren't enough people and groups and communities to answer accurately what that voice is calling to. I would encourage you to think about that. Yes, please. Text recipe to 33777 because I'm going to be sending out the gravy recipe, the dressing recipe, uh, the, I'm probably the turkey brine recipe. I need to send that one out. I, I, got, I got a lot, but um, I got good recipes to send out. If you text recipe to 33777, what happens is you'll be sent a link. You click the link, and there's an option to put in your email address, but also uh, you can just scroll through and see the recipes there on the radio show website. Uh, I have not put up yet uh, all of the recipes, but I will get to them, I promise. Lots of tasty, good recipes uh, for the holiday season. This is when I like to cook. Cooking has become therapeutic for me to uh, to, to get out of the politics and, and all of that stuff. Uh, and just focus and have fun with friends. And frankly, y'all are not going to believe this. I, I I was a really picky eater when I was a kid. So my, our very first trip, grew up in Dubai. And when I was, I guess, five, we went to Cyprus. My mom wanted to go see Cyprus because, you know, Paul had had the shipwreck on Cyprus. And we wanted to go see all the historic biblical sites and the like. And the castle is a cool place. But my mother had to carry a bottle of Heinz ketchup in her purse everywhere we went because I, to this day, put ketchup on If it's meat, there's ketchup on it. And, well, the Europeans water down their ketchup with vinegar. It's very unpleasant. And so we had to take ketchup. She had to take ketchup. And so I've got really picky eaters now. It's payback time. My kids are far pickier than I ever was. And so I do all this elaborate cooking. This is why I have people over at my house on Sunday nights because all the recipes I want to make that my family won't eat, like fried shrimp tacos. I make the best fried shrimp tacos you will ever in your life put in your mouth. And my family won't eat them. So i got to have people come over on Sunday night and sit on my front porch with me. Hi there. 
It's Eric Erickson here. The phone lines are open, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425, if you would like to be on the program. Uh, we got to move on to other things, and one of those things that we need to talk about is the 1619 Project. As you are aware, I mentioned this a little bit yesterday, uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones, her book is out on the 1619 Project. I will not encourage you to move the book to the fiction section. Nope, I won't. Um, if you do, you, you do. Um, you, but you know, it's on big display. I went into my local bookstore the other day, and they had a. It was a it made a big deal about it, way more than they should. Uh, so much of it is fraudulent. I got to play you some audio from Nicole Hannah Jones. This is also the woman who thinks we dropped the bomb on Japan because we spent all this money. We had to do something with it. This is her on MSNBC. Yes, thank you so much for that question because you know. We do focus a lot on on the pushback, but the pushback is a sign of um, all of the people who actually embrace the project. You wouldn't have the level of pushback if you didn't have people who really embrace the project. And this feeling of, of discomfort that we've been hearing around, you know, this uh, critical race theory propaganda campaign, that's been the standard feeling for black children to feel that the way that history is taught is demeaning to them that the way the history is taught really erases them and erases the accomplishment of black Americans. Oh, good grief. So essentially what she's acknowledging is the 1619 project is a feelings project. It's all about the feels. It's not about the facts and the facts do not stand up under the weight. I mean, y'all a socialist, like actual left-wing socialist publication published a diatribe of a bunch of left-wing American history professors on how much she factually got wrong in the 1619 Project. Now, it wasn't just her. It was other authors, and they are trying to rewrite American history through a racial lens. And essentially, their argument, and if, if you think about it, it's an unfalsifiable argument. An un unfalsifiable argument is one that uh, you cannot disprove because of the way the argument is made. And if you can never disprove it, it's not really an argument that can ever hold water uh, because it you, you can't dispute, you can't argue, you can't probe it. Her argument, and this is her argument, the argument is that American history was mostly written by white people. Therefore, it covered the things white people are interested in. It's unfalsifiable. White people wrote the history. They didn't cover certain topics. Therefore, they didn't think it was important because white people don't think it's important. Now, every history class I've ever been in about American history has covered slavery. But you now have these left-wing loons on, on social media say, I never learned about slavery in my history class. Really? People, I grew up in Dubai. Last I checked, Dubai is not in the continental United States. I went to an American school with American teachers. Guess what? We learned about slavery. I moved back to Jackson, Louisiana, a rural part of Louisiana. I mean, population 2,000 when you count the local prison and mental hospital in the area. I learned about slavery from a white Republican high school teacher. Yes, she is a Republican. Wonderful human being, Kathy Welch. Wonderful teacher. Loved her. We learned about slavery in American history. A white Republican teacher 
teaching me in rural Louisiana about slavery. Yes, I did. I don't know what you people learned in history, but in rural Louisiana, we learned about slavery and how bad it was and how Southern whites moved heaven and earth to keep black people in destitute situations. I learned that from white people in the South. Apparently in the North, you didn't learn this stuff. Why? Because you talk to a lot of people and they'll tell you the biggest bigots are the ones in the North. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I hear this from friends of mine who moved up North and they're like, man, we thought racism was bad in the South. These aren't white people I'm talking to. It's amazing how they cover that up. But there's this whole project, the 1619 Project, it is a project of feelings. It is a project of revisionism. It is a project not of facts but of emotion. And they want to force it on your kids at school and parents are having enough. And you know what they're doing because of it is they're calling your parents racist. They're calling you racist. Democrats, this is from Insider, uh, Business Insider, Democrats plan to swing back aggressively at Republicans on critical race theory. Listen to this. They've called it a racist dog whistle and a lie. But those messages haven't helped Democrats tamp down the uproar Republicans are feeling over critical race theory, now a misused catch-all term for teaching on race and diversity in K-12 schools that's firing up protests at school board meetings around the country. Democrat strategists say the party should pick hit back harder against divisive GOP claims while not losing sight of the priorities for voters, the economy. On a political level, it's a real threat and is allowing Republicans to claw back the inroads that Democrats have made in the suburbs over the last couple of election cycles, said Jim Manley, a longtime aide to former Senate Minority Leader Harry Reid. Democrats haven't yet pushed back on this issue enough, but the good news is the party's response is effective and there's time to make the case before the 2022 elections said Jesse Ferguson, a Democratic strategist. They just need to make the case relentlessly, he said. Right. Right. They just need to make the case relentlessly. That Republicans are pushing racism and that they're putting white supremacists in charge of their own education policy and that if you oppose critical race theory, you're a white supremacist. How do you look at what happened in Virginia and think, ha, huh, we need to call people racist even louder. How do, how do you, I mean, how did people get bad at this? Do you know, it's like we're in the political dark ages. After Rome fell, a lot of the institutional knowledge died. Do you know uh, Roman concrete the reason that so much of ancient Rome still exists is because the Romans invented concrete, but they didn't just invent concrete. They invented a chemical binder within the concrete that until two years ago, modern society had not figured out. Roman concrete gets harder over time. Roman concrete gets harder over time. See, concrete crumbles over time, but the uh, Roman concrete got harder over time. It's why the Colosseum, while still in ruins, is still uh, in, in greater pieces than you would expect given the history. 
the Roman civilizational creations have lasted longer than the Greek civilizational creations because the Romans knew something about concrete. And it turns out two years ago they found uh, a port. If I'm remembering this right, it was two years ago. In Italy, they found a Roman port, a harbor, and they found the harbor wall. The harbor wall had since submerged, but they found it. And it was actually it was sea level rise over the last several thousand years and land sinkage as well from earthquakes and the like. And the harbor foundation was actually in very good condition. And they were able to analyze the Roman concrete that the Romans used. Uh, how could this submerged under seawater? And it turned out it wasn't just volcanic ash that everybody knew. It actually was seawater too. Seawater. It was a combination. They analyzed the chemical compounds. And it turns out the Roman concrete was actually better. And now manufacturers around the world are updating their formulas for making concrete because of what the Romans did thousands of years ago. But we lost it all in the Dark Ages when the barbarians invaded and people fled. Institutional civilization began to collapse. And we lost a lot of knowledge along the way. You know, if you read, uh, what's his name, Gibbons, The History of the, the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, do you know why Gibbons, what Gibbons blames for the fall of the Roman Empire? Christians. Christianity. Gibbons says Christianity is to blame for the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Why? Because once Christianity was legalized by Constantine, the best and the brightest of the Roman Empire no longer went into the Roman bureaucracy for the glory of Rome. They went into the church for the glory of God. So you lost the best and the brightest. You lost the intellectual leaders of Rome to the church. Well, you know, the intellectual leaders on the Democratic Party side, we're in, a, we're in an intellectual dark age on the Democratic side now because the intellectual leaders of the Democratic Party cannot speak up because the wokes will come for them. The intellectual leaders of the Democratic Party cannot acknowledge that they must change path. Look at what happened to David Shore. David Shore now landed on his feet. But the reality is that David Shore, a Democrat progressive strategist, was blackballed and hounded out of his job for daring to tell them in 2020 the defund the police movement and the riots in the streets of Kenosha, Wisconsin, were going to cost the Democrats dearly. And it did. Democratic strategists can't speak up, and the result is that the younger wokes who don't know how to run politics, they're trying to run things, and they're in an intellectual dark age for the Democratic politics. It's just crazy. All right. I want to go to some phone calls before I, I go to a break. Um, I want to go to Ruth Mary. You are going to be up first today. If I can fire you up there, welcome to the program. Good afternoon, Eric. I was calling because you talked about mental health. And I'm, I'm glad you touched that subject. It's very important because people have a tendency, even though it's better over the decades, to have a tendency to push it under the rug. If a family member is having issues, they, a lot of them do not know where to go or how to deal with it. And um, as an EMT 40 or 50 years ago, when I was up in Pennsylvania, it was amazing how quickly family members would just push people into the state hospital or into a mental place and shut them away and not want to deal with it at all. In fact, even the even in the military, that was a problem uh, when we had, especially the guys coming back from Vietnam and other places, nobody wanted to deal with it. And so I'm glad you brought it up. It's not only a spiritual, you know, but a thing that to have, uh, I had a family member who was into Satanism 
And let me tell you, Mm. you talk about a mental issue. Finally got out of it, but to this day, I still don't, she's still vulnerable as far as I'm concerned Mm -hmm. to being pushed back into it. Maybe not, but I just, I just, you know, it's just not, she hasn't, I don't think she's found her way completely out of it, in my opinion. But so, you know, there is a spiritual side, and I'm glad if a minister or a priest is there, whether it's not a spiritual or demons going after them, if it's just a uh, mental health, as some people know, that they still have their spiritual support from their church for that family member or friend, because that still is important. Yeah, you don't uh, have to have a psychiatrist, but you do need that spiritual I, I I appreciate you saying that, and thank you very much for the phone call. I think this is one of the issues that we as a people tend to miss, is that you don't have to go straight to demons and angels here and to realize that we've got a lot of broken spirits in the country, and they need a support system. Uh, one more, Jeff, uh, in Missouri. You're going to be next. Welcome. Hey, Eric. Hi there. Yesterday you were talking. Yeah, hi. Can you hear me? I can. Yeah, okay. So yesterday you were talking about electric cars. I'm wondering, has anybody done an environmental study on what happens when these batteries start going bad? Uh, I wish they would because you're right. This is what I was actually reading after the show yesterday. Somebody sent me an article on on five of the major issues electric car owners have. One is fires, uh, battery fires. Uh, and another is what do you do to dispose of the batteries? They're such a super expensive component of the car. Uh, over time, batteries lose their charge, and where where do you dispose of them? How do you recycle them? And it's it's not just that. It's also the lithium that has to be uh, mined uh, to get these people and to get these batteries. And that's a humanitarian crisis in the making in parts of the third world where kids are the ones who are doing this. It's It's not good. And nobody wants to talk about that environmental problem. I want to talk to you, speaking of batteries and other things, how do, how do you save some money on your electricity? Because things are getting expensive, and a great way to save some money is to get the Eden Pure Gen 40 heater. It is a fan. It's a heater. It can cool you down in the summer. You don't just have to put it in your closet when the wintertime goes away, and it can help you lower your heating bills. It can heat efficiently, 1,000 square feet. Honestly, you're not. I use it on the porch. They've told me, now, you're not necessarily, it's for inside, but I put it on my porch and can direct heat towards people who are outside the propane uh, heater that I have on the front porch. And it works. And you can get $20 off their lowest price by going to EdenPureDeals.com. You'll see my name, Eric Erickson. There's a green circle around me. And when you click through, you'll see the Eden Pure Gen 40. Put in your card and at checkout, use the discount code ERICHEATER, E-R-I-C-K, HEATER, all one word. And you'll get $20 off the lowest sale price. You will get free shipping on it. Uh, They are limited in their supplies now. If you're thinking of getting one of these for the holidays, you probably want to go on and get your order in, EdenPureDeals.com, and then the discount code is Eric Heater, E-R-I-C-K Heater, all one word. You'll save $20, and you'll get free shipping. Hello there. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Uh, you know, I, so I did. I, I I rarely ever do. Someone emailed, and they they complained. I normally don't answer the the complainers. 
Uh, but but someone emailed and complained and said, just give me the news. I don't care about all you all. I don't care what you cook. I don't care about your family. Don't care about you. Don't care about all these topics. I'm not your therapist. Uh, just just give me the news and 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 stop reading from news articles. You know, um, I, I would normally let something like this go, but believe it or not, I actually know what I'm doing. Uh, and it, what I have found in doing talk radio is that the majority of the people who wish to opine on how I do radio are people who could never do radio. Uh, and occasionally I do have data like ratings that suggest I know what I'm doing. And I, whether some of you like it or not, the reason that I do sometimes read from news articles instead of just putting it in context is because I think you need to know what's actually being said as opposed to me characterizing it because I don't want to think for any of you. We had this conversation yesterday when Griffin called in. I I don't want to think for any of you. So I'm trying to give you the information. I don't like to read in-depth news articles because I, I feel like I'm I'm copying to some degree. But to put things in context and how I form my opinions, I, I think you need to see all the evidence. I'm trying to make my case to you guys, uh, and your mileage may vary on that, but I think it's very important for me not to just characterize what other people say. It's one reason we play sound bites here that are slightly longer than what other people play, in large part because I want you to hear them for themselves. Now, that gets me to Joe Biden, and I got to play you some of Joe Biden. Now, here's the snippet that you're going to hear elsewhere. 400 corporations, 550 corporations in the Fortune 500. Guess what? I misspoke. 55 corporations in the Fortune 500. You're going to hear that everywhere. Joe Biden's out of his mind. I actually want to put it in full context so you understand what he's actually saying here. He's still wrong, but listen. I'm a capitalist. You want to be a billionaire and a millionaire? That's great. Good for you. But pay your fair share. 400 corporations, 550 corporations in the Fortune 500. Guess what? I misspoke. 55 corporations in the Fortune 500 made $40 billion last year. Did not pay one single penny in taxes. Who does who pays it? Y'all pay it, as they say in Southern Delhi. Y'all do. For real. Think about it. This law, and so that's why this bill is paid for. Okay, and you just listen to to the one little oh, there he goes again. He's out of his mind, stumbling over his words. But the larger context here is actually even worse, and it gets gets missed by people playing the gotcha on the mental health stuff. Uh, Joe, only fifty five corporations in the Fortune five hundred um, that made forty billion dollars and they didn't pay any taxes. That's actually that's actually really good. It's actually really good. And he, he's, he's kind of using data that doesn't fit there to sell a plan that he says is paid for when it's really not paid for. But now they have a new talking point you need to be aware of. Economists saying well, this won't impact inflation. Experts are saying it. We'll discuss the experts. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show. Yes, my show. The phone number is 877-973-7425 should you wish to be a part of this program. You're welcome to try. Got to get past the call screener. In fact, I'm going to go to someone who did get past the call screener because Charlie and I were actually kind of fascinated by this. The number of people who have an interest in, opinion about, or expertise in batteries and electric cars is just – I talked about this yesterday that the number – the uptake in electric vehicles in this country and around the world is far higher than people expected but it really comes because of a surge in demand in Europe. What Bloomberg News is not reporting, they're the ones who ran the story yesterday, what they're not actually reporting 
is that the reason for the rapid uptake in Europe is because uh, fossil fuel burning vehicles are having to meet such strident metrics that costs have gone up and people are getting fined. Gasoline prices have been artificially inflated to be out of people's reach. So they're being forced into electric cars. Now, the downside of that is that in colder weather, electric batteries don't perform as well. And there's just a convoluted mess of a situation as a result. So I actually want to go to Roger, who is talking about this, uh, got some thoughts on this. Roger, welcome to the program. Oh, thanks for taking my call, sir. Sure. Uh, One of the comments that uh, I wanted to make is there's a technology out there that's been around for many years, which is called solid hydrogen. Yes. And it's absolutely green and has 100% recyclability of the hydrogen storage, and it's at room temperature and not under pressure. So it's incredibly safe. Um, and one of the funny things uh, I said to uh, told the, your screener, my father actually had an electric car dealership back in the mid-'70s, and it was uh, 55 miles an hour for 55 miles running on lead-acid batteries that also were – hard to recycle, but can be recycled. Mm -hmm. Um, The third comment was uh, Henry Ford actually uh, developed the Model T engines to run on ethanol and methanol, which is very green. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I remember, I remember reading the 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 Henry Ford one, um, and you know, there there have been elaborate conspiracies that have developed over the years of kind of like you hear with pharmaceutical companies that that they're they they won't cure cancer because that otherwise they can't sell drugs and the same thing. There are all sorts of conspiracy theories about the fossil fuel industry and and what they will and will not do, et cetera. But on the electric car issue, the hydrogen one. That's the one that intrigues me, and it's the petroleum industry that actually has been advocating uh, hydrogen and hydrogen power and hydrogen cars as opposed to even uh, liquid propane cars. And interestingly enough, it's environmentalists who have been opposed to the petroleum companies uh, producing hydrogen and hydrogen pump stations, and they've been seeding the fear, of course. It's all the Hindenburg fear of, oh, my gosh, these things, they'll blow up and we'll all die, uh, when actually they made it very, very safe. The problem, however, is that if you allow the petrochemical companies that have advocated hydrogen to do hydrogen, you're not going to put them out of business. And that's not my conspiracy theory here. This is within the Green New uh, – I shouldn't say the Green New Deal movement, the environmentalist movement. They don't like the idea of existing petrochemical companies moving towards hydrogen because they really want to put them out of business to show real progress on the environment. Uh, now, the other problem with hydrogen – there are some problems with hydrogen, but I actually think there are probably less problems than with some of the battery issues. But there are a lot of hydrogen pump stations out there. And how do you how do you uh, get people adjusted to it? Uh, there are all sorts of problems, but you know there are all sorts of problems as well on the issue of batteries. It's just fundamentally, philosophically, let's say let's just say we need to move away from fossil fuels that we really do. They're trying to rush it, and in trying to rush it, they're driving up costs, and that's going to foster resentment, and it's actually going to make it harder for them to move away from fossil fuels by not producing a rational path forward uh, other than we're going to punish people and drive up their costs. 
It's just it, it's it's interesting. It, it really is interesting to watch this uh, play out with environmentalists who are so desperate. But it's like nuclear power as well. You cannot really get away from uh, fossil fuels without nuclear power. And much of the environmentalist movement out there is opposed to nuclear power in large part because uh, they they're scared of it. They're they're scared of the the old disasters. They're scared of Fukushima, and, and no one wants to invest in fusion, which actually fusion I'm fascinated by, as I mentioned yesterday. But, look, we, we got to move on from the energy topics. Let me get to David here. David, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program. Hey, Eric. How you doing today? Great. What's going on? I just wanted to make a quick comment about that email that you got. And I know you don't need me to tell you, but you're doing a great job. We enjoy the way that you, you know, give us the news. You give us your opinion everything. You know, these naysayers, if they don't like it, they can go listen to one of those five five songs an hour radio stations. And, <laughs> you know, you just keep it up, man. We well, look, <laughs> I, I appreciate it very much, David. I really do. Um, it, it, I, I do know what I'm doing here, I think. The ratings suggest I know what I'm doing. I mean, for, for perspective, I was the – during the summer as the Braves were, were making their way towards the World Series, I was the number one show in Atlanta, uh, even against them. And against all the music stations too, I I, I kind of know I think what I'm doing. I will tell you though. I, let me let me pull the veil back. I I really didn't want to talk about this, but uh, let me pull the veil back all the way. More than some would be comfortable with uh, with me doing. You know, back in 2016, I didn't support Trump. I didn't for a lot of reasons. Character being chief among them, and. Everyone was thought, oh, my gosh, you know, your wife's got cancer. You, you, you need your health insurance. You're going to lose your job. I am, to my knowledge, the only radio show host in America who vocally opposed Donald Trump in 2016 who still has a job. And not only that, my ratings went up. My audience expanded. Not just the libs, you might think, if you're, if you're a Trump supporter. It's a lot of people. And it came from advice from Rush. We had a long talk about this. He was very worried about me. I got into radio because of him. Uh, he he pushed me into radio. I really wasn't sure I wanted to do it. And he said, you got to build a relationship with your audience. you got to talk about stuff other than just the headlines. Be relatable. And there are people, like some of the people who have emailed or, or left voicemails, who just think, you know, I just want to hear your opinion about the news of the day. I want to hear what's going on. I, wanna, I don't care about your life. I don't care about your kids. don't care about your wife's cancer. I, I don't care about anything. But most people actually are tired of politics, and they want to talk about other stuff, and they want to be able to relate to the person behind the microphone. And I try to be as open, transparent, and relatable as I possibly can with people uh, and and live life with you because a lot of people are just looking for someone to recognize they're going through something in life. They're going through an experience in life, and I'm going through a lot of experiences in life, y'all. And so we get to share them together. Some people don't like it. They got plenty of other stuff to listen to. Uh, but I will just say that I think I know what I'm doing. I've been doing it for a decade, and the ratings have gone up. The listenership has grown. Uh, so now that I know what I'm doing, I'm telling myself it's time to move on to other things. And one of those things are the experts. Because the experts are out telling us today from Moody and other groups that Joe Biden's Build Back Better plan will not cause inflation because it's paid for. Now, I want to be I I I I want to be charitable. I want to be analytical here. What do they mean by it's paid for? Because you know Joe Biden says it's going to cost nothing. 
to get through the Senate, it has to cost nothing, but it costs something, obviously. It's it's several trillion dollars. What are they talking about here? What they mean by this, so let, let, let me deal with inflation first. Inflation is there is more money in the economy swirling around than there are goods. And so the price of goods must go up because there's so much money, we got to balance the supply-demand curve. It is Economics 101 that the demand for something and the supply of something balance out over time. So if you have a large supply of money in the economy, there is going to be more demand for stuff. But that stuff can only be manufactured at a certain rate, and there's a supply chain crisis. So in order to balance the supply of money and the demand for goods, the demand curve shifts so that the supply and demand balance out at a price point that's higher than it had been in order to slow the demand because there just aren't enough goods to go around. Because there is so much more money to go around than there are goods to go around, people can buy a limited more people can buy a limited quantity of, of things, so the price of those things goes up to balance the supply demand curve. It just it happens of nat- naturally. You put in price caps or you put in price floors, it makes the situation even worse. The Democrats, for example, wish to put in a price cap on uh, gas prices that will make gas scarce. Why? Because the supply and the demand will not be able to balance out to equal each other. So you will have gas shortages if you do that. Bad idea, Democrats. Some of them are talking about it today. The problem with the inflation, you you dump all the money in, there's more money to buy goods. Well, then you have inflation. The reason the experts say that the Build Back Better plan won't contribute to inflation is they say that even though they're dumping $2 trillion into the economy, they're going to raise $2 trillion in taxes. So they're going to take $2 trillion out of one portion of the economy as they put $2 trillion into another portion of the economy. In other words, they're going to redirect portions of government spending upwards of $2 trillion, and they're going to tax billionaires and corporations to get it. So they're taking money out of one part of the economy and putting it in another part. That's why they say it won't cause inflation. Here's the problem. Corporations in particular and rich people are very good at getting out of taxes. And the common consensus here is that the Democrats are banking on balancing out the taxes and the spending to get it through the Senate on reconciliation to avoid a filibuster. If you in the Senate with reconciliation spend, but you pay for that spending with tax increases, twice a year you can get it by the Senate without ever having to deal with the filibuster. So they're trying to do that. Here's the problem with the experts and with the Democrats. They get a lot of stuff wrong. And in particular, in this case, everyone knows it is an open secret in Washington. The Democrats do not actually expect that all of their taxes will go through. The Democrats do not actually expect that their projections for tax revenue will be met. In other words, in reality, they all know they're going to put more into the economy than they're going to take out of it, more money. That is going to cause inflation, and the experts get it wrong, and the experts have gotten so much wrong. You know, uh, Tom Nichols on Twitter, he's a big defender of expertise and experts, and we need experts. The problem is 
The experts are getting a ton of stuff wrong in the country right now. They got inflation wrong. The Democratic experts got inflation wrong. They ignored the experts who said there was going to be inflation and said, no, there's not. We're the experts now. They got it wrong. There's inflation. They got all the climate stuff wrong. They got the Paris Accord wrong, pulling out the Paris Accord. They, they got the Iran deal wrong. They got killing uh, Soleimani wrong. They've gotten China wrong. They've gotten North Korea wrong. They've gotten energy wrong. They've gotten COVID wrong. They've gotten education wrong. They keep getting all of these things wrong, so why should we listen to them? And here's the biggest problem, and, and this, is, this is the truth. The fair and honest truth of the matter is there are a lot of people who are experts in certain fields – The media, however, has allowed them to expand their expertise into other fields that then discredits their expertise globally. That's the real problem here. Someone who is an expert on inflation is not an expert on COVID, and yet the media allows them to be an expert on all this stuff when they're not, and it discredits them and expertise in general. And a lot of the people who have claimed expertise on COVID and expertise on inflation and expertise on education, they're not experts in those fields And yet the media treats them as such, including now the people saying inflation is no big deal. They've been getting it wrong for a year. This hour of this year program is brought to you by my friends at First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the early 90s. They know how to do it. They want to help your business grow. If you need access to large loans, six figures and up, reach out to them. FirstLibertyGA.com. FirstLibertyGA.com. All right. uh, Y'all hang on on the phones here. Uh, I, I, y'all, I, I just, I keep getting distracted by all the headlines out there. Uh, but I, I, I got to spend a moment on the inflation stuff because Larry Summers, if you will recall, after the election came out, uh, I think in Jan- it was in January in the Washington post. And he said, guys, if you put as much money into the economy as you're about to with the COVID relief package, you're going to spark inflation. Don't do it. And all of the Democrats in Congress came out and said, yeah, we, we've done the math. We're going to be fine here. Well, now Steve Ratner, who was the uh, counselor to the Treasury Secretary in the Obama administration, is in the New York Times. Enough already about transitory inflation. Last Wednesday's terrible consumer price index news shifts our inflation prospects strongly into the embedded category. Prices are up 6.2% from a year ago, the largest increase in 30 years. While not likely to morph into the double-digit inflation I covered for the New York Times four years ago, four decades ago, prices may well rise fast enough to trigger higher interest rates, higher financing costs, make it more expensive for consumers and businesses to borrow, which in turn throttles growth. Inflation had already been tagged as a factor in the Democrats' awful election results this month and in the president's sagging poll numbers. It also threatens the passage of the Build Back Better plan, which includes expansive new initiatives to address climate change as well as important programs like paid uh, family leave. But last Thursday, Joe Manchin suggested he may want to delay consideration until next year. For the Biden administration, which long insisted prices would rise more slowly, Inflation is now its biggest challenge. How could the administration loaded with savvy political and economic hands have gotten it so wrong? They can't say they weren't warned, notably by Larry Summers and less notably by many others, including me. Essentially, he goes on to say Steve Rentner says that they ignored him. They ignored Larry Summers. They, they said they knew better. They knew best. 
And the result now is inflation is on the rise. Y'all, we have not, if you, so I am in my mid-40s. If you are my age or younger, you do not know inflation. It has not existed in our lifetimes where we have a memory of it. The Reagan administration came in with what was a Paul Volcker as the as the chairman of the Federal Reserve, and Reagan knew to stop inflation, he would have to destroy his political coalition in Congress. He and Volcker came up with a plan. Paul Volcker raised interest rates. It choked the economy. It sent us into a major recession in the early 80s. But it worked. It stopped the Jimmy Carter inflation. That was getting out of control. It stopped it. And then Reagan was able to, on a bipartisan basis, alter the American tax code to a pro-growth tax code and started really a 30, 40-year economic engine in this country that only really got suffocated by Barack Obama. And Donald Trump tried to put it back together, and the Democrats right now are trying to scuttle it again. And we're going to have interest rates go up. It's also going to impact the federal budget because as your interest rates go up, the federal debt service payments also have to go up, which means taxes have to go up, which means we're headed to a very dark place financially in this country thanks to Joe Biden. And the Democrats, it's going to get so bad. They know where this is headed. They know they're going to lose in 2022. The problem for the Democrats is they're starting to sweat bullets about 2024 they don't think they got a bench. They know Biden's not running. Harris isn't fit. Buttigieg has no experience. And high interest rates and recession are on the way. And Biden, not the Republicans, Biden is going to get blamed for this stuff. They're really starting to get scared about the lay of the land headed not to 2022, but to 2024. It's going to have a real economic impact on them. When we come back, we got some phone calls I want to take and then move on into the lay of the land. Hi there, it is Eric Erickson. The phone number, should you wish to be a part of this here program, is 877-973-7425. Someone called earlier. We we have a phone number for the like behind-the-scenes stuff at the show if you need to get one of us. And some poor soul found that number and can't figure out how to get on air with me. Just calling the wrong number. I give the right number all the time. 877-973-7425. 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, I want to go to Mike, who's been waiting patiently. Mike, welcome to the program. Uh, yes, thank you for letting me on your show. Sure. Yeah, uh, I have a definition for expert. I, I used to be called an expert because I had to drive 40 miles to a problem. So, <laughs> But the one I liked best was a drip. Under pressure, get it? X spurt. <laughs> yeah, that 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 you know, and and that's that's kind of what it is. It, it's kind of a shame that the expert class in this country has just become so, I guess, broken to some degree by partisanship. Uh, because when you think about it, uh, so they uh, the experts who are they? The the foreign policy experts in the United States. They said if Donald Trump pulled us out of the Paris Accord. The rest of the world would turn against us and and might impose economic sanction on us for getting out of it. He got out of it and nothing happened. Uh, Experts, foreign policy experts said if the president moved the American embassy in Israel to Jerusalem, that it would start a Middle Eastern war. It did not. 
The experts said if he killed Kasim Soleimani, it would start a war. It did not. Uh, what else have the experts gotten wrong? Well, the the experts have gotten time and time again all their projections on global warming wrong, so they keep moving the goalposts to say they've gotten them right. The experts, remember in the 70s, said we were all going to be out of oil, and we're not. The experts said we would have mass uh, starvation on the planet. We haven't. Experts continue to get things wrong, and the experts said we would not have inflation if the Democrats passed their COVID relief plan, and now we've got the inflation, and now they're saying, hey, we're not going to have inflation if you do this one. The same damn people who told us we wouldn't have inflation on the last thing are telling us we're not going to have it now. I don't understand why we should keep listening to these people. Uh, it just it boggles the mind. John, uh, I'm going to go to you. Okay, Charlie and I, I got to tell you, we're both a little perplexed on the number of people calling in about electric vehicles. I'm I'm actually kind of floored. I have hit on a topic that resonates with the audience totally by accident. John, you there? Yes, sir. I'm here. <laughs> I was I was talking to you there for a second. I, I said uh, Charlie and I are perplexed by this. We have hit on a topic by accident that we are just getting flooded with phone calls from people who have strong opinions on electric vehicles. Yes, sir. I've uh, well, let me start out by saying I, I created a go kart that uh, is battery powered. And I was able to put a generator on the back that charges the battery. That go-kart, I could drive it from here in Atlanta all the way to California, never have to stop at a charging station. So why can't they do that with a vehicle? Okay, so wait a second. You've got an electric go-kart that you can get from here to California without a charge. Well, I think I can, but, you know, if nothing breaks. Yeah, if nothing breaks, yeah. (laughs) So is it solar-powered or what, just a battery? just the battery wow. but as the wheels are turned it it charges the battery and it keeps it going uh-huh. it will it will literally never stop oh interesting yeah why, why can't they do that with a normal vehicle why do you have to stop at a power station on a power grid to charge a battery of a car that has four wheels turning that can charge all those batteries um, as you're driving. So I, I, I w- would, would tell you um, my answer is physics. Uh, there, there's the conserv- rule of the conservation of energy. Um, you're, you can't – so your energy dissipates over time. So I, I just I, – I wouldn't think that your go-kart could get all the way to California on a, on a single battery charge because of the, the laws of, of energy and thermodynamics. Now I'm just – now listen – I'm I'm not a physics expert, but I knew no do know basic physics and perpetual motion machines. We we can't create them because as the energy goes out from the battery to go to the wheels to spin the wheels, then you turn generators that produce new energy that goes back, but it can't produce as much energy as went into the wheels because the energy just doesn't go into the spinning of the wheels. It also comes out in the form of heat in the form of friction that goes out into the roads. So the energy that you put out when the wheels charge generators and Teslas do this, they charge generators. This is how they get longer uh, battery life than otherwise. Essentially, they have small little generators. You know, basically what you're doing is you're turning copper wire around a magnet to generate electricity. That's uh, You remember this experiment in high school and elementary school. You wrap a nail with a copper wire. You move a magnet back and forth, and you can feel the, the electricity come out of it. 
You could feel the electrons being pushed along. Well, what actually is happening here is with electric cars, they do this as well. So when the wheels spin, they're also spinning tiny generators that generate some power that comes back into the car. But you can't actually uh, produce an equal amount of energy going back into the battery because some of that energy comes out in other ways, expressed as friction along the road. The wheels eventually have to be replaced because the tires are causing friction. Friction is heat energy. Some of your energy is going to spin the wheels and some of it is getting lost along the way. Uh, so you never get the same amount back in. Otherwise, you would have a perpetual motion machine, and perpetual motion machines defy the laws of physics. Perpetual motion machines defy the laws of physics because your energy leaks in various ways. And again, I'm not an expert, but it is physics 101 that perpetual motion machines can't work. My grandfather claimed eons ago, my, my dad's dad was an inventor, that he had some sort of perpetual motion machine and never really put it together before he died, but it just defies the laws of physics, I'm afraid. Okay. Now, I'm going to move on from battery-powered vehicles because there's all the other stuff that I had wanted to talk about. And one of them is the Aspen Institute. The Aspen Institute is a think tank of the American elite. And it leans decidedly to the left. And the the Washington Free Beacon has a story out about the fine folks at the Aspen Institute who want to do something about misinformation and disinformation. They put together, I don't know if you know this, uh, a commission on information disorder. Do you know who they have on this commission? I, I wish I was making this up. Katie Couric is on this commission. Katie Couric acknowledged she edited comments of Ruth Bader Ginsburg about the national anthem protests to keep the full truth of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's opinions secret. And then there's Rashad Robinson. He's also on the commission. He advanced Jesse Smollett's hate crimes claims even after it was disproven. Commission members, this is from the Washington Free Beacon. Commission member censorship of legitimate news stories could undercut their lofty mission. The commission blamed decreasing levels of public trust in public institutions for the crisis, which it dubbed a whole-of-society problem that can have life-or-death consequences. And it calls on Congress and the White House to take action to counteract disinformation. Sure does. Yoel Roth, the head of of site integrity at Twitter, blocked access to an October 14, 2020 New York Post article regarding Hunter Biden's emails. Roth told the Federal Election Commission... He blocked the story in part because the intelligence community had briefed him that foreign governments might release hacked materials prior to the election. No evidence has emerged that Biden's laptop was stolen or hacked. Twitter founder Jack Dorsey acknowledged the company should not have blocked links to the story. The Aspen Commission report criticized Twitter and other social media companies for failures to rein in disinformation but does not cite Twitter's censorship of the Biden article. You know, uh, what's his name? The the prince, uh, Harry. Harry is on this commission. Harry, who is from a country where they regularly sue the press and win if they're royal because there is no First Amendment there. He doesn't understand the First Amendment. Y'all, I, I tried to resist it. I tried to resist landing here. 
but I have arrived where so many of my friends arrived before me. To this world where I must recognize and you must recognize that we really are in a divided America, where we, we it's harder and harder to be a United States. And it is largely because of a phenomenon that, that I've been increasingly aware of and mindful of and talked about, where we have a country where the elite in this country, they live in a world unlike the rest of us. And they, too, believe mythologies. They, too, believe things that are not so. And yet the elite, because they are the elite, seek to impose their mythologies on the rest of us. And in so doing, what they do is denounce things that we believe that they think are not true. And oftentimes what we believe is really true. Let's just focus on the Hunter Biden laptop situation for a moment. Social media outlets led by Twitter blocked any reference to the New York Post story on Hunter Biden. It was a story done by an actual legitimate historic press outlet. They not only suspended the New York Post's Twitter account for sharing the story, but they blocked other people who tried to share the story. They did this. They, they, the, the Twitter did this. The global elite cheered on Twitter because they said it was a disinformation campaign by the Russians to benefit Donald Trump. It turns out every last bit of the story was true. In fact, it was worse than we originally knew. And these people want to censor the information that you and I have. You know, they're coming after talk radio again. The Biden administration is putting in charge of talk radio at the FCC a woman who believes that we should be censored from telling you the truth. Yeah, I, in all honesty, in all candor, in all seriousness, I tend to believe that I am more reasonable than some of my counterparts and I'm less likely to buy into some of the craziness out there and uh, more likely to believe some of the well-reported sources out there. I, I, I have for years kind of put up a checklist of the reporters that I tend to read and think this person probably is more there than not there. And I, I, I don't go down the Alex Jones rabbit hole of thinking that uh, there are false flag operations when kids get killed in schools and stuff like that. And I am concerned myself about the level of misinformation and disinformation out there, whether it's COVID or the election, the number of people who send me well-meaning, thoughtful ideas and concerns about me and my views because they've seen something on the internet. I, I am concerned by that. But, you know, I, I don't think that that stuff should be censored. You know, the way you're supposed to deal with misinformation and disinformation is to produce better information, more accurate information. The reason we have a misinformation and a disinformation problem in this country is not because of people putting up YouTube pages with conspiracy theories. It's because no one trusts the institutions that are supposed to be honest and fair. When Twitter and major news outlets will gang up on the New York Post for producing a true and real story about Hunter Biden, the problem is not the story. The problem is the other media outlets. For all of the hand-wringing in the media about fairness and protections of the press— they don't care about protecting press outlets like Fox News 
They, they don't. They want to shut Fox News down too. They don't like the competition. They don't want another news network that could expose them as themselves spreading distorted information. The media rushed forward on the Jesse Smollett story. He claimed that Trump supporters in MAGA hats had beat him up in Chicago. Turns out he had hired the people to do it. He wanted the attention or some such. He was, what, his Nigerian trainer or something? Major members of the media made it a big deal. You can say the media did not, but prominent members of the media did. We were all there. We all witnessed it. Maybe it's them and their credibility that's from, but they can't, they, they're not self-reflective enough to realize that they themselves have a credibility problem. And they should not be preaching about other people's credibility when they're the ones who have one. You know, along the way, uh, a lot of progressives have fostered organizations to advance these, these claims. Uh, one of them is, is a site called Credo Mobile. It's, it's actually a cell phone company. And progressives realized that they could start a cell phone company. And they could use the profits of that company to fund the left-wing cause. There was a story out the other day that in 2020, progressives got more dark money from shadowy groups than conservatives got. They, they were outfunded by the left, in large part funneling their money through foreign entities and corporations who were then funneling super PACs. So a friend of mine on the right decided, you know what, we should not be surrendering in this field. We should be fighting back with conservative companies. Let's do our own cell phone company. And they came up with Patriot Mobile. I'm so proud to work with these guys. They're Christians and conservatives, and they fund the conservative cause. Your money together pooled with Patriot Mobile, their profits, goes to fund the conservative cause, the pro-life cause, the Second Amendment cause, the causes you care about. Not only that, they have 100% U.S.-based customer service. They are conservatives and Christians and share your values. They are not woke. And you can get free activation by using my name if you go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric. That's patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. They got 5G. They got wireless. They got data plans all over the country. You can call them if you want to talk to someone on on the phone. It is 972-PATRIOT is their phone number. They can move your existing cell phone number to them. They can give you a new number, give you a new phone, or use your current unlocked phone with Patriot Mobile. Go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric today. You do business with a company that fights for your side of the aisle, that shares your values and is willing to see those values funded and supported around the country. PatriotMobile.com. All right. Time is running out. You can text the word recipe to 33777 and get on that list before I start sending those recipes out. You can be prepared for the holiday season. We all like to cook together. But more importantly, you're going to start hearing a lot about the metaverse I talked a little bit about it yesterday, and I wrote about it in my daily email, uh, and I I provided a review of the Oculus. So in full disclosure, Facebook sent me one of their new Oculus 2 headsets. For those of you who don't know what this is, it's a virtual reality headset. You put this box on your head, and you are immersed in a whole new world. You look up. You look down. you, You look behind you. You are in the world. It is a fascinating bit of technology. And my 12-year-old tells me it is the greatest gaming platform he has experienced. We got an Xbox and a Nintendo Switch in the house, and he loves the Oculus above all others. There aren't a ton of games, but there are some good ones. Man, there is a Darth Vader game, and it is crazy. You get in this thing, and you're fighting lightsabers, you can hear Darth Vader coming because you can hear him breathing. And the crazy thing is the way it's designed, the people in the room with you, unless the volume is turned up too loud, they can't hear anything. It's so wild. I'm 
I'm kind of, I'm more impressed than I was, but I'm concerned as well because, you know, I think Aldous Huxley was right more than Orwell. Essentially, George Orwell's vision of the future was that we were going to be controlled and uh, by institutions, and uh, Huxley's vision was that we were going to be uh, entertained so much that we wouldn't care about the world around us. And Huxley's vision is playing out here. People just want to be entertained. It's like um, Maximus in the arena. Are you not entertained? People want to be entertained. And we are in Brave New World territory more than we are in 1984 territory. We're there, too. It's, it's an amalgamation. It's like the bastard love child of Huxley and, and Orwell. That's where we're living right now. But I'm concerned that people get into these virtual worlds and they're not going to want to come out because they can create a world of their own. Um, I see some good in it, though. It's just for – and you all, you actually really do feel like you're there. That's the craziest thing. Uh, if you're looking for, like, a game console system, though, I for your kids for Christmas, the Oculus, my kid, I mean, he gives it two thumbs up. 